The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And again, a big welcome to everyone, especially anybody who's here for the first time, whether online or here in the room. And uh, it's really great to be here together on Father's Day and close to the summer solstice and close to June 19th, uh, Juneteenth, tomorrow. And uh, we, I started last week just a never-ending investigation or discussion of, you know, the Buddha makes a big deal about awareness. And it's really appropriate for us to wonder, like, what is the big deal about awareness? Because on the surface or from a superficial point of view, it doesn't seem like much to be aware because we, you know, probably wrongly presume we are aware and we know what awareness is and we know what it does and it ain't much of anything. You know, I mean, it's great to be aware, but, you know, it's not like money in the bank or, you know, a healthy body or these other things that you know, apparently to us seem important. Because so one of the things we do around the equinoxes and the solstices is we uh, do this more formal recitation that we'll do a little later this morning, the <clears throat> refuge and precept recitation. We do it as a community four times a year. It takes about 10 minutes. We'll just read it together. Anybody wants to join in. Before here in the room, the kids will come in at 11.45, and uh, part of that recitation is we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, which are Pali words, as you probably can guess. Buddha means to be awake. Dhamma, or Dharma, means awake to the way it is, intimate with the conditions, the underlying nature of the way it is. And Sangha is that way of being, that way of participating that comes out of intimacy. When we're really connecting, opening, sensitive, intimate, then how do I show up in the world? That's that way of participating, that's called Sangha. So it's aspirational, like when we call this, whether you're online now or here in person, the common ground Sangha, which, you know, is an appropriate way to use that word sangha, we don't mean, you know, if you're in a kind of frustrated, bored or whatever mood, that's not sangha, that's just ordinary boredom or ordinary frustration or whatever emotion is established in our heart at any given time. But when there's that wisdom that knows there's boredom and isn't afraid of it, and isn't confused by the frustration or the boredom or the hatefulness or the envy or whatever less than you know wonderful emotion or attitude you might be having right now. Well, that capacity to be intimate and not confused by the ordinary conditioning of our heart and mind, that's worthy of the word sangha, right? Because like, then we're modeling for everyone around us, like how to be real. How to be real when you have a mind like this, a heart like this, a body like this, a world like this. How to be real, how to be all in, 
So these are the refuges, and then we take the five precepts, which are all about non-harming. And I'll go over those, or we'll hear those when we recite them together in a little bit. At 11.30, we'll do that. But right now, for the next 15, 20 minutes or whatever we have, I want to talk about this refuge and awareness and what's the big deal about awareness and how is it, this word we use, awareness, mindful awareness, how is it onward leading to liberation, to what our heart actually wants, (laughs) deeply aspires to? You know, the Buddha talks about it as the cessation of dukkha, the heaviness, the burdensomeness of our heart. You know, and especially that more subtle, existential, uneasy feeling we have a lot of the time. I mean, it's in a sense always there, that it can be masked when the conditions around us are really nice and we get enlivened by the pleasantness of whatever's going on around us. But after a while, I mean, this is the warning I always jokingly say we should have on the side of the building, beware, or on our Zoom, when you enter the Zoom room, you know, beware those who are inclined to learn the Buddha's teachings and practices of awareness, because you will find that sense experience or ordinary ongoing, lived experience isn't ultimately satisfying. It's also not out to get us, right? It's neither satisfying nor um, some kind of evil force. You know, like the aging process isn't some evil force out to get us. Or how unworkable intimate relationships ultimately are. Or anything is, right? Anything in this conditioned realm, which means what we normally refer to as our life or world, that's the conditioned realm. Things that come and go, including our mind, including our relationships, including everything. We wrongly presume that if I just got my act together and got really competent, I could somehow make my conditioned realm, my circumstances, my life satisfactory. And then when it doesn't turn out that way, we either blame our competence or we somehow blame, you know, the world's out to get me or you're out to get me or somebody's messing with me. You know, whether it's just the particular local conditions like the weather or my friend or partner or people at work or Somebody up there, you know, we imagine some divine force that has forgotten about me or sought to get me or whatever. Some evil demonic forces. I mean, we have all kinds of ways of talking to ourselves about how it is. And the question, the really functional, pragmatic question is, is any of that a refuge? Like, is any of it ultimately helpful? pragmatically for us? Does it lead to well-being in a way that's trustworthy and long-lasting and onward leading to even more well-being, more freedom, more release? Because 
If not, we might be interested in checking out, and we actually have to check it out, because as I'm sure, hopefully you imagine, you know, believing in it doesn't help. But we hear these teachings from the Buddha on being awake, being aware, being intimate, and we might actually feel like, I'm just going to believe in that, and then you can see, like, how does that work (laughs) for you? It doesn't work very well to believe in awareness. But we can hear these teachings and about these practices, and then we can actually check it out. Like, like whatever the Buddha is talking about, or whatever Mark is talking about, it's got to be something here and now, whatever this awareness stuff is. Being aware, being awake, recognizing what's being known. What happens when I do that, when I keep that in mind, who do I become? How do things unfold for me? Does that intuitively feel like it's in the right direction? Like, is it, does it have the taste of freedom? Or does it feel more entangling and more burdensome for us? Each of us is capable of checking it out. And it's just, we should be curious, like, why haven't I checked it out? Or maybe we feel we have checked it out and it hasn't paid off, which maybe, but maybe, you know, maybe we didn't really check it out. (laughs) Because we have to appreciate how hard it is. It's so easy for us to think we're checking something out, but actually what we're doing is we're thinking about it. We're thinking about awareness. We're thinking about the Buddhist teachings. We're thinking about you know, mindfulness or whatever. Being wise, we're thinking about being kind. And we're not actually going into this immediacy, this wild immediacy, not my interpretation of the wild immediacy, but this moment. Where the mind is somewhat less caught and dependent on my thoughts about this moment. And just notice now, like, because we can do this any moment, even when someone's talking, like me, right? We can be interested in just dropping in, so to speak, opening up, sensing, feeling what's here to feel. And what often arises for us is a kind of dismissing, like, this is just boring, or this is, I don't want to feel this. I don't want to be here. Like maybe you feel a little self-conscious or a little, but what is it, I mean, why would it be dangerous, interesting, you know, is it actually dangerous for me to be sensitive to my life? Because that would be a setup. (laughs) You know, it's like, we have a life, and the one instruction from you know, our brain, or mind, whatever, our conditioned mind is, don't trust the moment. <laughs> and whatever you do, don't open up. Don't feel. Your sacred, secret teachings only spoken here. Whatever you do, don't be there for it. <laughs> you know? Stay distracted. Stay superficial. Stay in denial. That's the ticket. (laughs) 
I mean, we could write a parody of a self-help book or a, a spiritual book. We could found, you know, uh, the spiritual center that's all about not being there when you're there. But that, I mean, ironically and tragically, that's a lot of our mental conditioning. It doesn't take too much clear reflection about our own life and just more generally the world, the world of us humans, to realize how powerful, what force in human culture, in our minds, and more generally in human culture, is stronger than the force of distractedness. How much human intelligence and effort goes to creating good distractions that we can get lost in? It's amazing. So we have to appreciate what we're up against. And it's the easiest thing in the world when the going gets rough, like when we're actually feeling something we don't want to feel, what do we reach for? Some convenient distraction, whatever it is. And surprisingly, a lot of the distractions are unpleasant, but they're still, they still absorb the mind in a way. So we're, we feel strangely protected from being real with the way it is. So then somebody comes around and has, you know, the appropriate conditions to, to see through these diluted habits of ours and realizes, um, realizes what one realizes when one doesn't drink the Kool-Aid and keep going toward distractedness and then talks about it, right? And somehow, you know, all of you online and all of you in the room we feel interested enough to be here and listening to whatever degree we're listening. And then and that's, a, that's not a small step, that's a huge step, but there's an even bigger step, which is to creatively, intimately, personally experiment with what you're hearing. No one can do it for us. In this you know, spiritual tradition, the Buddhism, Buddhist teachings, you know, at least in early Buddhism, we don't imagine there's somebody like the Buddha or teacher, guru, that can do it for us. I mean, it's helpful to have our lineage of wise people before us who speak with confidence that, hey, this practice works. It's helpful. Check it out. Right? That's really helpful for us to have. But that doesn't do it for us. We still have to do it. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of the time, you know, this deeper conditioned pattern in our mind, this childlike pattern where we really just want to be saved, it's kind of that, you know, however it worked out for us, that those moments where we felt like that parent, that caretaker of ours, like they have our back. And I'm going to count on them. And, uh, you know, and then we grow up, hopefully, in some sort of balanced way and rightfully realize they can't have my back. <laughs> They're just a human being, you know, doing the best they can, maybe. But, uh, but our parents, you know, they can feed us, maybe, and give us warmth and shelter and stuff. But they can't really free us, free this heart 
we have to figure this out for ourselves. And the figuring out, like I've been saying, isn't always trying to interpret, to think it through. It doesn't really work. It doesn't mean that information concepts aren't helpful. It just means we have to use them, apply them directly to this moment, see how it changes the experience of being open, intimate, vulnerable to what's here. And we have to spend some time in that place. Ultimately, we want to spend time in that place even when we're being a parent or being a citizen or being a partner or being somebody engaged in the world. But that's not so easy because, you know, when we're in social spaces, all of our social conditioning comes online to be somebody, to interact, to make sure they get who I am and all of that stuff. So when we sit in the morning or sit in the evening or go on a Buddhist retreat, we're creating conditions that just are simpler and more useful for this investigation. Is refuge, is awareness a refuge for us? Is it onward leading to awakening? And are we actually in need for a refuge? The Buddha was talking to somebody, and this got recorded, passed down over the centuries. Somebody asked the Buddha, there are people stuck midstream in the terror and fear of the rush of the river of being. The Buddha often, in Buddhism, we often use that metaphor of a flood being swept away by our greed, by our desire, being swept away by our fear, by our attachments, right? Sound familiar? Swept away. And then all the fear and hope, all how that pushes us around. For their sake, sir, please tell me where to find an island where there is solid ground beyond the reach of all this pain, right? Just being pushed around by our likes and our dislikes, by hope and our fear. And this is what the Buddha said in response. For the sake of those stuck in the middle of the river of being, overwhelmed by death and decay, I will tell you where to find solid ground. Interested? (laughs) (laughs) Two blocks west. (laughs) There is an island, an island you cannot go beyond. It is a place of no thingness, a place of non-possession and non-attachment. It is the total end of death and decay. But you could put any words, the total end of burdensomeness, the total end of fear, of even hope, like needing something other than the way it is right now, any dependency whatsoever free of that. And that's why I call it Nibbana. Remember, Nibbana is a word similar to the word at the time, 2,600 years ago, that meant a fire going out, the cooling down and the extinguishing of a fire. So something ceases, some almost ceaseless hunger, ceaseless burning, 
of our heart ceases. And the Buddha calls that cessation nibbana, or in the Sanskrit, you might have heard the word nirvana, the same word, nibbana, nirvana. And then the Buddha says, there are people who in awareness have realized this and are completely cooled here and now. They do not become slaves working for Mara. Mara is a word where the Buddha personifies all of those, they're really those forces of delusion, of greed and hatred. There's a real, I don't know if you've noticed, like when greed and hatred and delusion is active right, in our mind, there's a real cohesiveness. I mean, it, it really looks like me <laughs> when I'm attached, identified with my anger, with my lust, with my greed, with my whatever, right? It has a real coherence, like an intelligence. It makes sense when we say, I'm going to get even, or whatever, you know, we might be acting out, identified with. And that's what Mara stands for. They do not become slaves working for Mara, these coherent, these very seductive force of our thoughts about this and that. The juicy, where we immediately, the mind immediately identifies as if this is I, me, and mine, this, these conceptions. Another place the Buddha talks about all of our conceivings, whatever we conceive of, whatever concept that the mind identifies with, he, he likens it to a tumor or a disease. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't think. It's the identification, it's the dependence on what we think, the wrong use of thought, you could say, that is a cause for suffering. Yeah, so they, we do not become slaves working for Mara. They cannot fall into, we will not fall into its power. Right? And this is this awakening that awareness supports, right? When we establish, remember awareness, and let's check it out right now, otherwise it will be just words. So awareness and that capacity of awareness is always present, the capacity or potential. doesn't mean we are aware, but we can be aware. But awareness means we're recognizing consciousness. Are you conscious right now? Can you in the moment, recognize that you're conscious. How do you know you're conscious? Because this is being known. Right? But you have to recognize that this is being known. That's a, not a normal way we are in a moment, where we're recognizing that we're being known. Or that we're recognizing that this is being known. Right? And so it's that deepening, strengthening of that value of awareness where we're making that more and more the mode. As we live our life, we have our daily training ground where the conditions are simple, the room is quiet, we're sitting comfortably, no at least external distractions, of course lots of internal distractions, just the force of our thinking mind, right? That momentum of thinking isn't going to stop just because you come to common ground for a morning sit or you find a quiet place in your apartment to sit, your dog needs knows to leave you alone, and your roommates know to leave you alone, and 
your cell phone is off, that even then, lots of distractions, but we just do our best. This is being known. Thinking is being known. Hearing is being known. Sensing sensations being known. And if we check it out, we'll sense, perhaps, and this is for each of us to check out, is this a refuge for me? What's the ongoing, what does that set in motion when I remember to be aware, when I remember this potential, this capacity to be aware, to recognize consciousness, to recognize what the mind is knowing? What's the lingering, reverberating, ongoing effect of that in my life? And then, see, then it doesn't matter if you're part of a center or if you consider yourself a Buddhist or not. You see something happening in your own heart, your own mind. You're becoming somebody who is more aware, more awake. And you can trust that, and you don't need a label, (laughs) right? You just need to keep valuing the remembering to recognize that this is being known. And as the Buddha says in one of the talks, all of the other wholesome qualities that you and I could generate, like being generous or being kind or being forgiving or being clear or being resilient, they naturally start to gather when we build a momentum of present moment awareness. You don't have to have a list of 24 wholesome qualities Okay, in my 40s, I'm going to develop this, and in my 50s, I'll develop that, and by the time I'm 120, I'll have perfected all the wholesome qualities that are to perfect. That would be such a burden, a self-centered burden, you know. I have to become a perfect human being. Very few things are heavier than that. All we really need to do is create this feedback mechanism. And that's, and the way we do that, there's basically two feedback mechanisms. One is a feedback mechanism that is built upon distractedness and what that sets in motion. And if you want to know what that sets in motion, you just need to look at our world. Because when our minds collectively are primarily based on distractedness, then we get a world like this. So then we can check out on our own, like, but when I start to cultivate a mind, I can't do it for the world. Each of us individually have to do it for ourselves. I mean, we can support others, like making this kind of place possible. But when we personally cultivate that awareness, recognizing this is being known, that intimacy where the mind or wisdom is recognizing it's like this, not judging and not controlling, but just that connecting, opening, intimate presence. Oh yeah, it's like this now. So a really humiliating moment, it's like this now. A moment that may be triggering of a lot of pride, it's like this now. Everyone loving me, it's like this now. Everyone insulting me, it's like this now. Something ordinary, it's like this now. Just valuing that and seeing like what kind of feedback loop does that set in motion? 
we have to do it enough to sense its wholesomeness. And as I've said many times, one of the more poignant things, uh, one of our teachers that Shelley and I have studied with, Saida Utejaniya, says, uh, said once at the end of a longer retreat, and he's written this and you know, repeated this in different ways. If people, if my students really understood the value of awareness, they would make the effort to be aware. They would remember the value, to value awareness. It's the not understanding how valuable it is. It's easy to dismiss. It's just easy to, to dismiss. Just like as humans on the planet, it's easy for us to, to dismiss the air we breathe. We just feel like there's a lot of it. Or the water we drink. Or all kinds of things, right? We can just be oblivious to it. You know, like that we're in this together in so many ways that we can be oblivious to. That we have to belong together. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. So um, what we're going to do now is our refuge and precept chant. And uh, I've been putting in the chat, and I'll do that again for those of you who are online. And you can open that up in just about a quarter of the way down the page. You'll see the link for Common Ground's um, refuge and precept recitation. And then here we're on page 35 in the people in the room. And while you're finding that, let me just make a couple announcements because uh, this will take us right to the end. Next Sunday, uh, Deborah Rattler will be here. I'll be here too. Deborah's an old friend and teaching colleague, colleague, and she's right now leading with Vance Pryor the Twin Cities Vipassana Collective uh, Summer Retreat that's been going on since the late 80s. Um, our kind of a sister organization to Common Ground, and they have a summer retreat every year and Vance and Deborah are leading that. And Deborah's going to stay over um, after the retreating teach Sunday. She's a wonderful teacher. Uh, please join in for that next Sunday. And then Niels Heyman will be here the last Thursday in July, uh, in June, sorry, and uh, doing a hybrid talk, right, in person and online. Niels Heyman is a longtime Common Ground teacher, was a monk with Ajahn Sumedho for seven years in England, and an educator, and an all-around wise and funny guy. So please join in for that. Um, I'm forgetting the date, but whatever number of days June has. 29th. 29th? Right, that uh, 7 o'clock? It's on the bulletin board right outside. So yeah. Check yeah, and on our, our, our public calendar online. So that's coming up. I'll do a retreat on the 24th, a day-long retreat. Um, I think Shelley's doing a half-day in July, first or second week in July. You can check that out. And uh, they're still looking for people to lead mindfulness groups in prisons. You can contact Robin in the office if you're interested in that. Lots of activities out at the retreat property. There's an educator practice group the second weekend in July, I believe. And then Robin and I, Corey and Rick Condon are leading a renunciation practice period, the 11th through the 15th of July. Then a two-week work retreat. Corey Clementson, a longtime leader and our uh, uh, 
um, construction manager for our big renovation out at the retreat center that's over now is just going to be out doing projects, leading practice during that work retreat last two weeks of July. You don't have to come out for the whole time, of course, but if you want to go out for a day or more, just let us know. It's really a great time to connect with the community. So those and many other things coming up. Let's do our refuge and precept recitation now. So hopefully you have that in front of you. We'll begin with three bells. Then we acknowledge our teacher, the Buddha. And then we'll be doing this mostly in Pali, but with the precepts, we'll also read the English and Thich Nhat Hanh's comments. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Buddha Saranang Gachami Dhamman Saranang Gachami Sangang Saranang Gachami Dutiyapi Buddha Saranang Gachami Dutiyapi Dhamman Saranang Gachami Dutiyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Tatiyampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Tatiyampi Dhamman Saranam Gachami Tatiyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami We'll take a moment, just reflect on Buddha, the first refuge, trusting this heart's capacity to be awake, aware, open, interested, free from grasping. Just reflecting in your own experience. And the second refuge, Dharma or Dhamma, trusting the heart's capacity to connect with the conditions, with the way it is right now being intimate. And then the third refuge, Sangha, trusting our heart's capacity to fearlessly open, to engage with humility, with tenderness in all places in our lives. living and engaging from this place of intimacy. Good, and now let's do the five precepts, and uh, we'll do the Pali, then we'll read the English, and then uh, I'll read out loud Thich Nhat Hanh's um, comments. He's a wonderful teacher who passed away about a year ago, and it's just his reflections on each of these five mindfulness trainings. And if people... Uh, if you want to read out loud the comments with me, feel free to join in. But let's do the Pali and then the translation. So the first precept, 
พานาติพัทธาเวอัมนีสิกาปดังสามาริยามี I undertake the training to refrain from harming living beings. Aware of the suffering caused by the destruction of life, I'm committed to cultivating compassion and learning ways to protect the lives of all beings. I'm determined not to kill, not to let others kill, and not to condone any act of killing in the world. In my thinking, in my way of life, this is the first of the five mindfulness trainings I vow to study and practice. It. So take a few moments and just contemplate what non-harming might feel and look like in our lives. Where the edges might be for us. Now the second. Adinadana, where amni sika padansa mariyami. I undertake the training to refrain from taking that which is not given. Aware of the suffering caused by exploitation, social injustice, stealing, and oppression, I'm committed to cultivating loving kindness and learning ways to work for the well-being of all beings. I will practice generosity by sharing my time, energy, and material resources with those who are in real need. I'm determined not to steal and not to possess anything that should belong to others. I will respect the property of others, but I will prevent others from profiting from human suffering and the suffering of other species on Earth. This is the second of the five mindfulness trainings. I vow to study and practice it. So again, just take a moment or two and reflect what that might feel and look like in our lives. And then the third, Kame su mitchachara, where amnini sika padansa mariyami. I undertake the training to refrain from harm through sexual misconduct. Aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I'm committed to cultivating responsibility and learning ways to protect the safety and integrity of individuals, couples, families, and society. I'm determined not to engage in sexual activities without love and commitment. To preserve the happiness of myself and others. I'm determined to respect my commitments and the commitments of others. I will do everything in my power to protect children from sexual abuse and to protect couples and families from being harmed by sexual misconduct. This is the third of the five mindfulness trainings. I vow to study and practice it. And again, reflecting on this in our lives. And now the fourth, Musawada, where Amnani Sika Padansa Mariyami. I undertake the training to refrain from and harmful speech. Aware of the suffering caused by unmindful speech and the inability to listen to others, I'm committed to cultivating loving speech and deep listening in order to bring joy and happiness to others. 
and relieve others of their suffering. Knowing that words can create happiness or suffering, I am determined to speak truthfully with words that inspire self-confidence, joy, and hope. I will not spread information I do not know to be certain and will not criticize or condemn things of which I am not sure. I will refrain from uttering words with the intention of causing division and discord. I'm determined to make efforts to reconcile and resolve all conflicts, however small. This is the fourth of the five mindfulness trainings. I vow to study and practice it. And again, just what that might feel and look like in each of our lives. And now the fifth. Shura Maria Maja Pamara Tana, where Amnani Sika Padansa Maria Me. I undertake the training to refrain from the misuse of intoxicants. Aware of the suffering caused by unmindful consumption, I'm committed to cultivation of good health, both physical and mental, for myself, my family, and my society by practicing mindful eating, drinking, and consuming. I will ingest only items that preserve peace, well-being, and joy in my body, in my consciousness, and in the collective body and consciousness of my family and society. I'm determined not to misuse alcohol or any other intoxicant or to ingest foods or other items that undermine spiritual growth, such as unwholesome TV programs, magazines, books, films, and conversations. I'm aware that to damage my body or my consciousness with such poisons is to harm all beings. I understand that a proper diet is crucial for self-transformation and for the transformation of society. This is the fifth of the five mindfulness trainings I vow to study and practice in. So again, we'll take a moment reflecting on what this might look like in our lives. And then we end with this dedication. Idame silang magapalanyana sa pachayoho tu. May my conduct to attainment of the deepest fruits of liberation. Taking these three refuges, undertaking the five mindfulness trainings, and practicing the way of awareness and insight gives rise to benefit without limit. I offer to share all these blessings and merit with my parents, my teachers, family, friends, with all beings everywhere. May this life and practice contribute to the great stream of causes and conditions leading to happiness, peace, and liberation for all beings. May all beings be happy. So there we go. (laughs) And... uh, this, uh, the link for the Refuges and Precepts is on that Google Doc that's online, so you can get it. So we're going to say goodbye to the people online. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. 
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.